hearts in the midst of an interesting season. I want to thank you all uh, for the love and kindness that you've shown our family, especially last week during Pastor's Appreciation Week. We're indebted to you in countless ways. And to the Lord, it's come at an interesting time uh, for us and for myself in ministry. There have been a number of deaths, obviously, that have come... um, that have hit us rather hard, obviously, Tim and Tracy and their family, but also Dr. Roskup, who was one of my professors at TMS, and then Pastor Mark Rodriguez, who uh, I believe is around Pastor John's age and worked closely with Pastor John. He passed away from a heart attack, and he was helping to oversee um, the Shepherd's Fellowship um, that we were involved in. And so as these men were taken away, some of them... um, Later in life, some in the prime of their ministry in many ways, I think it makes me mindful uh, and brings us to the word of the Lord to remember that our lives are just a vapor and the great gift that we have, especially as the pastor, every Sunday that we have to gather together and worship Christ together and see one another and love one another is really a gift that we do not deserve. It's not necessarily promised. We don't know from one week to the next whether it's given But for us and for our family, I want you to know you are our great reward and encouragement, regardless of any gifts. You are our crown, you are our glory, and our great reward is your love for Christ. This is what gives us joy and delight. And so we're so thankful to the Lord for each one of you. Well, that being said, this past week was certainly, I don't know for you, but it was an interesting week for us and our family. I know throughout our children's school There was an awful lot being talked about, about the coming elections. There was eager expectations. And uh, this past week, everyone, it seemed like we waited and we waited and we waited with great anticipation and for some anxiety to see who will become the new leader and new president of the United States of America. And sadly, for many believers and unbelievers alike, the controversy and division over this election and the direction of our country still rages on. But as believers, even as Garrett shepherded us in prayer, we would do well to stop and be still and remember who is Lord. And remember that our true citizenship is in heaven. Our true family is the household of God, Lighthouse Bible Church, San Jose. Our true family is neither Republican or Democrat. And there is absolutely no uncertainty over who our true leader is. He is the only one whose leadership can truly save the United States of America. Our leader and our Lord is the servant king who did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, let's hang on to that and let's live that in the weeks ahead. This nation and this world so desperately needs to see that. And I'm ashamed to say many times believers in America have been caught up in the hoopla of everything good and bad surrounding these elections. And what gets lost in the shuffle is the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is to Him this morning that we turn our eyes to, even as we return to the words, His words in 1 Timothy, 
in order to answer the question we've been looking at, what is a good servant of Christ Jesus? What is a good servant of Christ Jesus? And the reason we're spending so much time on this question is because this is Christ's criteria and this is Christ's standard for leadership. This is Christ's standard for who is to lead and who is to teach and who is to serve in his church, in his local churches, and in Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose. This is his standard. Last week we considered three biblical patterns of a good servant of Christ Jesus. And not surprisingly, these are patterns that we see first and foremost in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the example. He is the standard. If we need to know what a good servant is, we need to look at Jesus. If we want to know what a good leader is, okay, we should not be looking at either Donald Trump or Joe Biden. We need to look at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And last week we went through these three biblical patterns that the Apostle Paul points us to in 1 Timothy. A good servant of Christ Jesus is pleasing to the Lord. A good servant of Christ Jesus is filled with the Spirit of Christ and the Word of Christ. And a good servant of Christ Jesus guards and treasures the gospel with his or her life. Well, by those standards, things narrow down, don't they, a little bit. This morning we're going to consider one more Christ-like pattern of a good servant of Christ Jesus. A good servant of Christ Jesus faithfully keeps and teaches Christ's commands without compromise. Without compromise. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we'll read together the first five verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God, that is, by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. This is the word of the Lord. Well, where does Paul get this from? Did he come up with this off the top of his head? We've already, of course, we've talked about it many times, heard the the context of of 1 Timothy, the local church in Ephesus, as the apostolic era is coming to the close. 
the gospel is becoming less and less the center or core of what the teaching is. And many in the church and many of the teachers are becoming enamored with their own speculations and own ideas and own programs and own opinions. And it would be easy to say that Paul is just simply reacting to a problem. But if we go back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, after Jesus has risen from the grave, he gathers his disciples in Galilee on a mountain. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what? Some of the things I have commanded you. Now, now's the time when you can start throwing things at me in the pulpit. No, teaching them to observe what? Let me hear you say it. You've got masks, so you can, you're not going to spray me with COVID-19. All that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's what we refer to as the Great Commission. That's the basis of missions. It's the basis of our discipleship at the church. It's our mission statement of the church. It's the basis of church planting. But in this great commission, Christ is essentially calling his disciples to the life and ministry he himself lived. The life and ministry of a humble servant and a child of God who faithfully keeps and teaches, not some, but all that his father and all that the master has commanded, even if it cost Christ his very own life. Jesus did not compromise. And he was faithful to do all that his father asked him to do. And he was faithful to teach his disciples all the words that the father had given him. And he did it out of love, brothers and sisters. Love for the father and love for you and I. That's love. And that's putting it on the line. Brothers and sisters, this is the life and ministry that sets apart A good servant of Christ Jesus. That's the standard. And this, brothers and sisters, is what 1 Timothy is really all about. It's about this first point on our screen at the bottom. A good servant of Christ Jesus faithfully keeps and teaches Christ's commands without compromise. This is the life and ministry that Christ exemplified. This is the commitment that he called his disciples to as he sent them out to make disciples. How do you make disciples? We baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the idea of the union with Christ, that conversion, that transformation that happens from the proclamation of the gospel and the Holy Spirit moving in them. But the job is not done. We need to Teach all that Christ has commanded. Not some, not 50-50, not in part half mine, half his. We need to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded. And the growing problem in Ephesus, or that local church in Ephesus, as the Apostle Paul points out 
in verse 3 of chapter 1 is that certain influential persons in the church, like many professing Christians today, were devoting themselves to many things other than Christ and His commands. They were devoting themselves to many things that were drawing themselves away from the gospel. And guess what? When we get drawn away from the gospel, that has an impact on other people. Our wives, our children. That's what we talked about this morning in the child-parent dedication. It's not just the parents up here, brothers and sisters. It's y'all. Okay? And if you guys are heading south, and if you guys are veering away from the gospel, and parents are bringing their kids in every week, light bulbs should go off in the parents' mind. Man, is this what I want for my children? Is this the example that I want for my children? And this week is a good week to stop and think, what are the things that draw us away from the gospel, brothers and sisters? Politics, education, good things, bad things, work, all of the different things that preoccupy our time and take our hearts away from the good news of Jesus Christ, either in word or deed. We just have to think about all our social media and the things that occupy our hearts and minds, brothers and sisters. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What the Apostle Paul is doing throughout this epistle, as you read through, and once again, please, read through it from beginning to end. What the Apostle Paul is doing throughout this epistle is he's simply urging Timothy, his true child in the faith, and the senior pastor of this church in Ephesus, to be a good servant of Christ Jesus by faithfully keeping and teaching Christ's commands without compromise. First, in Timothy's own life, but also in the life of the church. That's what 1 Timothy is all about, brothers and sisters. And this is to be the focus of a good servant of Christ Jesus. And if you look very carefully at verse 1, you'll see that this epistle begins with a command. In fact, as you go through this epistle, and if you take a pen out and you circle all the imperatives or commands, there are at least no less than 30 commands, and they are all tied to this opening command in verse 1. And the command that's there in verse 1 is not just any command. It is the command that made the sinner, Saul of Tarsus, into a saint and an apostle and a good servant of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is only one word and there is only one command that has the power and authority to transform the chief of sinners into a saint an apostle, and a good servant of Jesus Christ. And it is not the word and command of a pope, a pastor, or a politician. It is the word and command of the one who created the universe in six literal days. It is the word and command that gives life and love where there is none. It is the word and command that Christ Jesus died to keep and to teach without compromise to his disciples. It is the word and command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. How? By what? 
by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Brothers and sisters, what and whose command defines the entirety of your life? As we live and work, and people look at our marriages and families, are they able to see the command upon which we stand and defines and shapes who we are and what we say and what we do? Oh yes, we know this family. We know what they're doing. This is a family who is set apart by the command and the authority, not of the world, but of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They march to a different drum. They're not like the rest. Well, that was clearly the testimony of the Apostle Paul, very clearly. And Timothy, he's starting to waver because he's getting beaten down in church ministry by people who are sticking it to him. Paul is writing this letter, and even more so, 2 Timothy, to encourage him and to bolster him and to call him to step up and not to waver, to be a good servant of Christ Jesus by faithfully keeping and teaching Christ's commands regardless of the circumstances or the opposition. What was the concern? The concern and the burden was this word and command of Christ Jesus, our hope, and God, our Savior, was being abandoned by many in the church, including teachers and members, and maybe even some suggestions, some of the widows, the entire church. They were walking away from the word and command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in favor of the doctrine and commandments of men. This is what Ted taught us about a few weeks ago. It's called apostasy. Apostasy, when we walk away from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and His word, and we do so always in favor of something that is a little more attractive, more, more pleasing to our flesh. And brothers and sisters, when you walk away from the words and command of Christ Jesus, you are walking away from Christ Jesus himself. We tend to split that up a little bit. When my boys listen to me, it's an encouragement. Because they understand the voice of their father and who is speaking to them. But somehow we make that division a little bit with the word of the Lord. And sometimes we fail to see that when we come in contact with Christ's words and commands, it is Christ himself who is speaking to us. That's the whole purpose of why Paul puts that greeting in the very beginning. Paul, an apostle, by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, our hope, so that everything that comes in the rest of the letter as it's read out loud in that church in Ephesus, they will understand this is all coming from Christ himself. He's the one who's speaking to you. I'm the messenger, but he's the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when we walk away from the words and commands of Christ Jesus in our home, in our marriage, with our friends, in our workplace, when no one is watching, we are walking away from Christ Jesus himself. And we're walking away from the only one who can save you and I from our sin. Brothers and sisters, I'm not bigger than my sin, and I don't think you are either. 
And this is why Jesus warns his disciples in the passage that Garrett read to us this morning in Matthew seven twenty six and 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and great was the fall of it. Not a small one, a big fall. Brothers and sisters, you show me a marriage that is falling apart. You show me a church that is falling apart or dying. You show me a ministry that is falling apart or dying. You show me a family that is falling apart or dying. You show me a nation that is falling apart or divided. And I will show you a nation, a marriage, a family, a ministry, and a church that have walked away from Christ Jesus and His Word. Those are the words of Jesus, brothers and sisters, not mine. I will show you those who have walked away from Christ Jesus and His Word to build their house on the shifting sands of this fallen world. This is what was happening in the local church in Ephesus. And it was destroying the marriages and the ministry and the families and the worship, like much of America. And this is why the Apostle Paul, by the command of God and Christ Jesus, urges Timothy in verse 3, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Brothers and sisters, Christ's word, it's a life or death proposition. It's not a maybe. It's not, we'll get 50% of it right, or we'll get 80% of it right, and we'll still get a diploma. When I was going through medical school, there was one associate who was not an exemplary, a great example of what a medical student should be. It was always bare minimum, always bare minimum, always bare minimum. Out partying all the time, always bare minimum. And he said to me in a car one time, he looked at me with a grin, a stupid grin. And he said to me, you know what they call a medical student who graduates with 70% or 56%? They still call him doctor. Hey, brothers and sisters, that's our attitude sometimes to the Christian faith and what a servant is. As long as I do my best, as long as I try, I'll still get across the finish line. But let me ask you, is that the doctor you want to go to see? To do your open heart surgery or to do your brain tumor? I don't think so. And this is why the Apostle Paul repeatedly comes to Timothy over and over again as you go through the text. And he says, put these things before the people. Command them. Charge them. Let them know so that they will be above reproach or without reproach. And then as you get to the end in 4.16, Timothy 4.16, have a look at this. At the end of 1 Timothy. What does the Apostle Paul do? He brings it close to home for Timothy about what a good servant of Christ Jesus is. What does he say in verse 416? Keep a close watch on yourself and on what? The teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, he's not saying that Timothy's going to die for people and he's going to save them. He's pointing out. 
That the example of Timothy's life, his personal life, his teaching, his doctrine and his teaching, it is directly connected to his own salvation and the salvation of the people in the local church in Ephesus and the people he has contact with. And we had a parent dedication this morning. Parent dedication. Okay? The children didn't really have much say in the matter. Okay? Wow. Could it be any more clear in a parent dedication that their doctrine and their example and their marriages and the way a husband loves a wife and a wife respects her husband is going to have an impact on the witness of those children and play a role. At the end of the day, of course, it is the Lord who saves people. And he saves many people out of terrible, terrible homes. And that is his grace and mercy. And what a great God he is. But brothers and sisters, for those of us who have the Lord, there is no excuse. There is no excuse. We know, Julie and I, children of pastors, who the last thing they ever wanted to do was marry a pastor because of the homes that they grew up in. Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself, not just on Sundays. That was added by me. That's not scripture, okay? And on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Brothers and sisters, that applies not just to the pastor. That applies to elders. That applies to deacons. That applies to members. That applies to every ministry and everybody who claims to be a member of this church. It's why the apostle Paul goes on to the the elders and he talks about their character and how they manage their home. Does it exemplify the commands of Christ? It's why he goes to the deacons and he talks about the deacons. He says, you've got to hold fast and faithfully the mystery of the faith with a good conscience. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to do a task. You need to keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. What's the message that you're communicating? Brothers and sisters, why does Jesus call his servants repeatedly and the Apostle Paul to faithfully keep and teach his commands? Not just in the good times. Not just when it's convenient and not just when it's profitable. And without compromise. Why does he call elders and deacons lives to exemplify the teaching and commandments of Christ? Especially when it's hard. And parents, you know your kids. When do they need to see the love of Christ and the light of Christ? It's it's not on the, the vacation in Disneyland. Yes, of course they need to see it then. But they need to see it when the job paycheck is not coming in. They need to see it when the mortgage and the house is on the line. They need to see it when things are hard and difficult and kids on the street are discriminating against them because of the color of their skin. How will you respond? Why does Jesus care so much? Because if you muddy the medicine, brothers and sisters, the patients will die. And if you build the house on sand, the house is going to fall. And everybody who's in that house is going to be affected. Brothers and sisters, he, he, he says this repeatedly because he cares for you and he loves you and because you are his children. Parents, do you care about what is being taught to your kids? 
Do you care about who is teaching your children? I know in our household, before school starts, we get a list of who the teachers are. And we pray. Do you care about what your kids are watching on YouTube? My son came into my study this morning and told me I spelled YouTube wrong. It's not YouTube, Dad. It's Y-O-U-Tube. But do you care about what our kids are watching? Of course you do. Why? Because you love your children and you know that what they are being taught and what they are watching is going to affect their hearts and souls and minds. Do you screen which movies your children watch? Especially the scary ones where you don't want them to watch it because you know they'll have bad dreams. I was traumatized at an early age by the Wizard of Oz. Anyways, it was those flying apes. Nonetheless, but we do, right? Why? Because you love your children. You care about them. And you appreciate and you understand how these things affect them. Brothers and sisters, why do suddenly we get lax about what goes on in the church and what goes on in our lives and the examples that we communicate to others, especially the little ones? And I'll share with you one of my pet peeves. This is me, this is not the Lord. There's a propensity in churches in America that the children's ministry becomes a vetting place for those who are learning how to do ministry. And we take whoever's willing and whoever's able. They're kids. You know, we just need someone to keep them occupied while the service is going on so that the parents can focus on the worship. Think about what a good servant of Christ Jesus is. Think about the lives that are being affected. If we really cherish these children and say they are the least among us and most vulnerable and the biggest impact could be had for negative or, or, or for positive, we would take our best preachers and our pastors and our seminarians and the best in ministry, those who are vetted and proven and who have been tested in the trenches and have shown themselves to be faithful in teaching and keeping the word of the Lord, regardless of the circumstance or the adversity. And that's who we would have taking care of our children if we loved them. But we're used to doing it differently, brothers and sisters. Who should be serving in the local church? Well, only a good servant of Christ Jesus, who faithfully teaches and keeps his word without compromise. Why? Because that is the test of whether you truly love the Lord or not. And that brings us to our second point this morning. A good servant of Christ Jesus loves the Lord. A good servant of Christ Jesus loves the Lord. Now this sounds obvious, right? We all love the Lord. That's why we're here on Sunday. That's why we come out to church. That's why we do what we do. Pastor Mark, everyone loves the Lord. Does everybody faithfully keep and teach his commandments without compromise? Because, brothers and sisters, this is how Christ Jesus showed love to us. The love of the Lord is different from the love of the world. The love of the world is everybody should be able to get married. Everybody should be able to be whatever they want. Nobody should say hard things to anybody. You need to have a pat on the shoulder and so do I. Good job! Every game ends up tied at 2-2. 
But brothers and sisters, that's not how Christ Jesus showed his love for us. He showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because, as he tells the disciples over and over again, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is necessary that the Son of Man must be rejected and humiliated and crucified. I'm paraphrasing there. But he tells them repeatedly, how did Christ Jesus show his love for you and I? By faithfully keeping and teaching the word of his Father. That's why we're here, brothers and sisters. That's why we have a new life in Christ. This is what set Christ Jesus apart as the true Son of God. What set Him apart as special? Different from all the prophets, priests, and kings, and all the riffraffs, and all the other lunatics out there who are claiming to be the Son of God. What set Him apart? Because you open up the Word of God and you see, He perfectly obeyed and kept the entire Word of the Lord. Nobody else can do that, brothers and sisters. Nobody has done it, and nobody will do it until Christ comes again. He was holy, brothers and sisters. He was set apart entirely for the love of his Father. And it was his perfect keeping of God's word that ultimately led him to do what no man could do. To die on the cross as a sacrifice and a substitute for sinners like you and I. And this is why the Apostle Paul in chapter 1, verse 5 says that the aim and goal of this charge, Timothy, is love. Timothy, this is why I'm asking you to stay. This is why I'm asking you to take heat. This is why I'm asking you not to go to an easier church. This is why I'm asking you to correct people who do not want to be corrected and they are going to treat you terribly for doing it. Brothers and sisters, I think how often and how many times I've heard when people switch ministries, I'm not doing it because I'm not being a good example. I don't feel like I'm having a a good impact. I don't think this is my calling, Pastor Mark. And, And those may be true. But the real issue at the heart of it, brothers and sisters, is about love. It's about love. The aim and goal of this charge, Timothy, is love. Timothy, I want you to know that to do these things, it's not easy. But it's what's the most loving thing to do for everyone, including your opposition. To let them know that the doctrines they are pursuing are leading them away from Christ and away from salvation. And it's actually going to destroy their marriages, their home, their families, and the church. Because it's severing them from the only thing that can give them life. Which is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, everything we do and say, it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to point someone to Jesus or it's going to point them away. There's no in between. The testimony of Jesus' life and ministry was one of obedience to God's word. And obedience to God's word is really all about love. That's what Jesus showed his disciples. And it's about God's love, not man's love. And brothers and sisters, that's what America needs and that's what we need. We don't need the world's love. This is why Jesus, in John 14, 15, he says to his disciples, If you love me, You will what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in verse 21 of the same chapter, John 14, 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
And it's with these commands Jesus shows what true obedience is all about, brothers and sisters. It's about love. But the word that he uses very interestingly throughout this chapter, very frequently, and it's the same word he uses in the Great Commission. It's the word to keep. In Greek, it's the verb tereo. And that's also the same word that's used in the Great Commission when he says, teach them to observe or teach them to keep. Tereo, all that I have commanded. And the idea of keeping or guarding, it's more than just obeying, brothers and sisters. It's more than this, just the checklist. Jesus asked me not to kill someone, so I didn't kill someone. Jesus asked me not to lie, so I didn't lie. The idea of guarding and keeping is the idea that you are being given a sacred treasure, like the children this morning. And the idea is whoever gave it to you is coming back for it. And they're going to hold you accountable for how you cared for that treasure. When you hand that treasure back to the person, is it all there? Is it in the same condition that it was given to you? That's the idea of guarding and keeping. So when Jesus comes and says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's not just saying, if you love me, you'll do my commandments. He's saying, you're going to guard it. You're going to prioritize it. It's going to be important to you. You're going to watch over it. And when I come for you again, you're going to hand back to me these commandments in the same condition I gave it to you. It's not like broken telephone where it gets watered down with each person it gets passed on to. Or that old dollar bill. It's been passed around so many times, it's worn out. We're talking about pristine. Parents, that's our job as stewards with these children. God has given us a gift, and he will hold us accountable. And brothers and sisters, that is all the giftedness that the Lord has given you, whatever gifts, natural gifts he's given you, but even more so, it's the new life in Christ he's given you. Jesus himself shows us the example of what this is. In John 17, 8, as he prays for believers, he prays and he says that he, he tells his Father, has given them, the believers, the words that you gave me. And then in verse 12 he says, I kept them in your name. I have guarded them, tereo. He's talking about the disciples. This is his care for them during the entirety of his ministry. When they were tempted to go astray. When they doubted. When they struggled. When they veered off. When they fought with one another. Guess what? Jesus loved them and protected them. And he guarded their faith. And he says to the father, I have not lost one except the son of destruction. Referring to Judas. Brothers and sisters, how different is that from the obedience of the false teachers? They could say they went to church. They could say they studied the Bible. How different, brothers and sisters, is that from the obedience that we talk about so often and think about it? Do we look at that like we're guarding a treasure, like it's a priority? Now, I want you to know, and Julie will admit to this, that I am clearly the head of our household. But on occasion, Julie will leave some envelopes out with stamps on them because once in a blue moon, you've got to send something by snail mail, right? 
bills and the other things like that. And she'll ask me, can you take this out to the mailbox for me? And what I typically do is I try and get the boys to go with me to do it. And I try and get the boys to do it with me, to do it right away after Julie has asked. First thing in the morning. Why do I do that? Because I want to let her know I love her and it's a priority if she's asked me to do it. I don't want her to have to sit there day one, day two, day three. Did he do it? Did he do it? Did he do it? Did he do it? He did a pretty good job last time, but this time was a little bit off. It's the idea, brothers and sisters, of caring and prioritizing because you love. And it's very different than the way the false teachers were thinking. The false teachers were thinking, well, I do most of it, okay. And that's really the Pharisees' policy of how they looked at these things. They did it in part, but they did not do it in whole. And they did it in part because it served them well. And brothers and sisters, sadly, that's very much the standard of obedience in the church and Christian communities. We obey when it's convenient. We obey when it serves us well. When it's not convenient and it does not serve us well, then we put it on hold. In John 14, 31, Jesus shares why he's so concerned about what we do with his commandments. In John 14, 31, he says to his disciples, I do as the Father has commanded me. Why? So that the world may know that I love the Father. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know That I love the Father. Brothers and sisters, what is the greatest display of true love? It is faithfully keeping the commands that God has given us. Not some of the time, brothers and sisters, but all of the time. And the Lord puts that before us because this is the way the world sees that there is a love inside us that they do not have. Brothers and sisters, they ain't going to see it if we're not obeying. If you can't forgive your spouse, they aren't going to see it. If you can't forgive the people who have discriminated against your children, they can't see it. If we are not going to go the extra mile or bless those or pray for those who have different political opinions than we do, who think differently or who voted for someone differently, they aren't going to see it. They're going to see just the same thing of all the people who are running around the streets with signs and protests. Brothers and sisters, it's by living the word of Christ that our love for the Father shows, especially when it's difficult. That's why the Apostle Paul can say, I boast in my weakness. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Talking about God's grace being sufficient for his weakness and God's strength and power being perfected at those moments. Because Brothers and sisters, it's those hard moments when Christ's love is most visibly on display. That's why the Apostle Paul says, the aim of our charge, Timothy, is love. The aim of our charge is love. And this is such a contrast, brothers and sisters, Such a contrast to our world and such a contrast to the Pharisees and Sadducees and such a contrast to 
the false teachers in Ephesus and in general, many of those in Ephesus. And why? Because they had forgotten their first love. Why do we not obey, brothers and sisters? Why do we pick and choose? Why do we obey when it's convenient, but not when it's inconvenient? And Paul addresses this when he talks about godliness with contentment is great gain. And talks about the false teachers believing that godliness was the source of great gain. That the reason they were obeying is because it served them well. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus obeyed, he didn't obey because it served him well. It served him very poorly to go to the cross. He did it out of love for the Father and out of love for you. Because that is what sets apart the love of God. Brothers and sisters, the reason we struggle with this, well, Jesus gives the answer to us. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We, we, we don't do it because we don't love him. That's what Jesus says, not me. And this is why we don't faithfully keep and teach Christ's commands when it's hard or it's inconvenient. Because we love something or someone more than Jesus. And brothers and sisters, more often than not, it's in those quiet places when no one is looking. And the testimony and what it shows more often than not is we love ourselves more than we love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, you can't come to Christ and you can't come to his commands without realizing his command demands all of you. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer made that statement very clearly. We might not agree with all his theology, but he made the point that if anyone is to obey Christ or follow him, he needs to come and die. Christ bids us come and die with him. And brothers and sisters, it's not complicated, but it is hard. And because of that, what we do is we bend the rules, we lower the standards, we adjust the standards or the weights, or we say, okay, we do these things really well. Those things, not so much. Or we bend it a little bit because it makes us feel uncomfortable. And all we do is we make ourselves comfortable with the fact that we really don't love Jesus and we don't want to follow him. But brothers and sisters, until we come to that point and we face those commands, we do not face Christ. When we face those commands, we see we don't have it, and he does. And this brings us to our final point for this morning. A good servant of Christ Jesus hopes and trusts in Christ alone. A good servant of Christ Jesus hopes and trusts in Christ alone. In verse 5, the apostle Paul says to Timothy, The aim of our charge... Our command is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And Paul points out why the false teachers are unable to faithfully keep and teach Christ's commands. It's because they don't love him. And they don't love him because they do not have pure hearts. They do not have good consciences. And they do not have sincere faith. Like a husband who's been unfaithful to his wife. It's like a husband who's been looking at pornography and comes home to dinner and cannot look at his wife straight in the eye. So he buys her flowers so maybe she doesn't notice. 
It's what Paul's highlighting here. And he's saying, look, this charge, Timothy, that I'm giving to you, it's love to correct sinners and to point them back to Christ. That is love. Because Christ is the only one who can give them a pure heart and give them a clean conscience and give them a sincere faith. That is exactly what they don't have. And that is exactly what they need. Brothers and sisters, we don't need a little. We need a lot. We come to his commands. What we see, brothers and sisters, is that we need to be forgiven. And we need to be forgiven not just a little, brothers and sisters. We need to be forgiven a lot. A lot. The good news of Jesus Christ is he has the grace and the mercy And the righteousness to transform our lives from the chief of sinners to saints and good servants who faithfully keep and teach his commands. And why? Why was Paul so on fire for the Lord? Well, those who are forgiven much, brothers and sisters, what? What? They're the ones who love much. And the Apostle Paul had been forgiven much. But he loved much. Therefore, he was able to forgive and show mercy and grace to others. And he was a bright light and bright witness to the gospel. And people who saw him saw the image of Christ in him. And it was clear, it was clear, it was clear. Whether he was in prison or whether he was on the road or a ship. Christ Jesus and his love dwells in this man. And the proof of it is he faithfully teaches and keeps Christ's commands regardless of the opposition. Brothers and sisters, until Christ alone is our only hope and trust, we will never know the love of Christ as he desires to give it to us. And we will never be able to faithfully keep and teach his commands without compromise. And brothers and sisters, that's why as we look for who should lead and teach And serve in the church. There needs to be a vetting process. With two or three witnesses. As you go through. And there needs to be time spent. So that we can see over a period of time. What is the pattern of this person. Because if this pattern of this person. Is they only teach and keep Christ's commands. When it's convenient. Or it serves them well. When Pastor Mark is looking. But when the least among them is looking. No. That is the test of whether someone truly loves Christ, and that is the test of whether they have truly been forgiven and come to the foot of the cross and receive the mercy and grace without which, brothers and sisters, no man will stand and no man will be faithful. Brothers and sisters, Christ desires for you to be a good servant. The place that that begins is at the foot of the cross next to him. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you gave your life so that we might hear your word and live it. So that we might know your love, not half of the time, but all of the time. Lord Jesus, make us what we cannot make ourselves. Make us good servants of yours. In your name we pray, amen.
Would you all please rise with me? Um, just as we sing response to the